Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Steve Jones Show, News Radio 1070 WKOK. You can find us online anytime at stevejonesshow.com and get in contact with us in a number of ways. Our email is stevejones at wkok.com. Of course, our website, stevejonesshow.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Jones PSU. And after we do the live shows, we archive them as podcasts so you can listen to them anytime, anywhere on both. Apple Podcasts and iTunes and Google Play, so subscribe to our podcast. And if you listen to us on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app, don't hesitate to leave us a review. And once we're done with the show this afternoon, after 5, we'll have our late-day news roundup with Sarah Benick, and then tonight we'll have Phillies baseball. Uh, how about the Phillies? A little winning streak going on. Won four in a row, and they've won the first two in this series with the Atlanta Braves down in SunTrust Park. And actually, Monday night's game, it was uh, Bartolo Colon was pitching for the Braves. And uh, it was just placed on the 10-day disabled list due to a left oblique strain. So this is the first time this season that the Braves are uh, using a different uh, rotation. They were using the same five starting pitch, uh, pitchers all season uh, leading up to that injury on Monday night. But uh, Jared Eikhoff's uh, going to be on the mound tonight for the Phillies. They're still struggling 0-6. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll have that up and running tonight. Network warm-up at uh, 7. First pitch at about... 7.35 here on WKOK. We have an anti-suits sh- show today. Yeah. It's it's, it's, it's going to be it's going to be hard for him to listen to. Yeah. Door will be and, shut. Maybe well, assuming the fetal position in the corner. I mean, normally anything with common sense causes that. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be talking with Chris Dempsey today who wrote the book and was with the group that stopped the Boston Olympic bid from moving forward. He is now the head of the Department of Transportation for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And it is a fascinating book. But it talked about what they went through, because remember, when you're doing this, you're going to have an undertaking. Boston spent $7.5 million dollars on the bid and also whatever publicity was needed to to tell people how great the bid was. You want to know how much the anti-Boston I shouldn't say anti-Boston that's wrong. Anti-Olympic group what their budget was? $30,000. Oh, by the way, they spent only 15000 
because once the word got out as to what the particulars were and how long it would take the people of Massachusetts to pay off the debt of it, when you're talking 40, 50 years. That sounds like pocket change, just comparing to maybe what other cities had, you know, putting their plans together to uh, lobby and bid for the Olympics. Sounds like they'd probably have to pony up a lot more money than that. Right. So they had they headed, uh, out, headed that off at the pass. They, it's amazing what they did, Sean. They, they, um, but all they did was just use logic. That's all they did. They didn't do anything out of the norm other than using logic to explain to the populace, um, is this the right thing to do? Is this how, what you want to do to saddle your children and grandchildren still paying off the debt of a three-week track meet. But the Olympics can be great. They can be prestigious. There's a lot to it. But here's the problem. And I'm going to get into this with Chris Dempsey. We're going to have what Greg Wyshynski's on at 335. But Chris Dempsey will get on what 406. I think that sounds like a good plan, right? You betcha. Is I want to get into with him... Um, that it's the contract is too weighted toward the IOC and not to the host city. Now it's okay if you get a if it's if it's weighted and it's fifty if if, if the weighting happens to be fifty fifty in the IOC this happens to be their event their games, but the problem and why you're seeing fewer and fewer cities bid is that the contract is too heavily weighted toward the IOC. The IOC puts no risk into it. They benefit, but there's no risk. It's a nice contract to have. And that's what they've been doing. And when they do the bid, the bids are all in secret. Well, it wasn't until you started uncovering the layers where you start realizing what was promised and what they were going to do. There's the other expense. And remember, cost overruns. All the venue cost overruns, and they always run over. Because it's very difficult to think twenty twenty four dollars in twenty seventeen. We expect prices to go up in the next seven years. But you what you can't calculate or guess is how much. I mean Brazil and Rio de Janeiro massive debt there are also certain factors you don't count on Vladimir Putin has been in the news obviously a lot but I can tell you right now he's no economic genius 
the Sochi Olympics will tell you that because they miscalculated dramatically when they put the bid in for Sochi oil I think was something like I don't know $70, $80 a barrel and it went to 105 well that's the primary export in Russia that is a primary money maker in Russia What's oil now? 47? I mean, in a capitalistic economy, they lost their shirts. They lost their shirts. And something tells me that you don't have a lot of people that are saying, you know, what a great city Sochi looks like. Let's go vacation there. Uh, no. Doesn't happen. Let's see. Um, let's see. Mediterranean, Bahamas, Sochi. Mm. No. I mean, a total, complete miscalculation. They lost their shirts on those games. I mean, Beijing was able to get the Winter Olympics. They were bidding against Kazakhstan, which pulled out. Just like in the World Cup for Women in 2015, Canada got it. Only other bidder, Kazakhstan, which pulled out. I mean, that's how all these things are happening these days. These things are happening now. The same Boston group that successfully fought the Olympic bid then was brought to Hamburg in Germany when they were going to the Olympics. And they helped them. Then Hamburg eventually, after seeing everything, pulled out. Maybe someday it'll come to the point where the Olympic Committee will maybe create some kind of think tank and they, okay, we're just going to have three or four cities that slam dunk that we know can handle and support and and pull off a, a great Olympic Games and then just have a rotating basis. But it kind of makes you wonder if those cities then eventually may get tired and burned out and be want to pull out, be, be pulled out of their rotation. Pick one winter site, one summer site, build it, maintain it. And guess what? Make the IOC pay for it. Give the IOC the financial responsibility of making it work. I mean, Rome pulled out. Rome had the Olympics in 1960. Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali won his light heavyweight boxing gold medal there. Rayford Johnson won the decathlon. They pulled out. It just doesn't... I feel like what's sustaining it are TV dollars. The Olympics do well ratings-wise, but I mean, are they going to continue to do well when they're still on tape? I mean, it's going to be in South Korea, for goodness sakes. So if you find out that Ashley Wagner wins the gold medal in women's figure skating, 
you are absolutely going to be inclined to watch. Oh, yeah, she won. That's great. But let's face it, you're going to find out at some point that maybe she finished fifth and no American ends up um, winning a medal in women's figure skating. Are you as inclined to watch it then? Now, maybe. Women's figure skating, maybe. But, for example, hey, tonight the feature is bobsled, and they finish fifth. And you find out about it. Well, here is a very interesting story. The longest tenured coach in college football. He's going to tell the Board of Regents he is retiring. Bob Stoops at Oklahoma. Wow. Eighteen seasons. So Bob Stoops is going to retire. Wow. All right, a lot to talk about. Back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way? The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Bob Stoops retiring after 18 seasons at Oklahoma. Effective immediately. That's one of the wow moments uh, of the week. Uh, That one came out of the absolute blue. But Bob Stoops is retiring. That... uh, That's an amazing out who who they replace him with. I don't know what they're going to do if they move somebody up from the staff. How they're going to do it? They have no idea. It's probably found a story with uh, Bruce Feldman. Uh, Fox Sports uh, did get confirmation uh, from a, uh, a source in Oklahoma. He's saying that Lincoln Riley is set to take over the program. Lincoln Riley's only thirty three. He won the Broyles Award as the nation's top assistant in twenty fifteen. Texas native spent seven seasons as an offensive coordinator, latest in the run of Sooner coaches who took over the program in their 30s. 
Bud Wilkinson took over at 31. Barry Switzer yeah. was 36, and Stoops was 39 when they took over. Yeah. Well. Riley has passed on several FBS head coaching opportunities in recent years, including Houston, Cincinnati, and Purdue. <laughs> Can you blame him? <laughs> Being the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma might be a better job than that. But, uh, huh. the fact that it comes at this time is interesting. Yeah. In other words, it's not like Bob Stoops decided, you know what, it's January, I decided to retire. No, I'll retire in June. It's almost like a player's mentality. You just get up one morning and you just feel you, 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 just, you just don't have it in you anymore. Boy, that's a good question. I can't answer that question because I've never experienced it. I don't know, have you experienced that where you kind of wake up one day and go, nah. Uh, not with this yeah, gig, t- no. no I, don't even, I don't even consider this work. <laughs> right. I mean, well, I, let me put it this way. I did morning radio for 21 years, mm-hmm. and I disliked it all 21 years. Uh, I did it because um, because of the paycheck, and I never once liked it. Uh, but, hey, look, you have a family, you're trying to take care of things, so I never liked doing that. As opposed to calling games, there is not one time I've ever walked into a broadcast booth, football, basketball, baseball, not one time I ever have I ever not walked in excited about the day or the night. Uh, I never walk into this studio without excitement. Never. Not one. This is what, five and a half years of doing this now? Every day I've relished coming in here to do this. Because this is more up my alley compared to doing a morning show where you're getting up at 4, 4.30 in the morning. Sometimes you're getting back from someplace like Minnesota, Wisconsin in the wintertime at Sunday, sometimes 2, 3 in the morning. Yeah, and I didn't really want to talk about what's going on with Fergie or Pink or Madonna. I'd rather sit here and talk about Bob Soup's retiring or hockey like next. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Great to be rejoined by Greg Wyshynski, Puck Daddy, Yahoo Sports. Greg, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Great to be back. Thanks for having me again. All right, Greg, let's start with this. Uh, I had said to some Penguin fans up here, I said the, if, when they were up two games to none, they said if I had to pick one thing that would worry me if I were a fan, it would be Pecorine returns to being Pecorine. Have we seen that in this series? Uh, definitely. I mean, I think he recaptured his confidence in those games in, in Nashville. Uh, there's no question that he was the difference in game four. If you, if you really pick apart that game, 
you're seeing a game in which the uh, Penguins get the same sorts of opportunities they had in the first two games to uh, to put a bunch of goals on the board in, in short order to get their offense cranked up. They were getting behind the Predators' defense. They did some things that, frankly, I think they can build on for Game 5. But the difference was that this time Pekka Rennie was there in a way that he wasn't in the first two games of the series. Now, his defense has helped him out, too. They're, they're creating a lot of lanes for him to see the puck a little bit better. They're clearing out in front of him. Uh, and the fact that the Penguins' power play simply can't get on track, I think, has been a factor here, too. But, uh, but he definitely was the last line of defense in Game 4, and you're right, if he's, if he's on point, we've already seen it in, one, in these playoffs where he can be the difference maker in any game. Now let's go to the other part of this, Greg, and the fact that uh, he, he gave up one goal in Game 4, and he played really, really well, a couple of incredible sequences. But he also faced 23 shots and saved 22. He didn't face 43. Why aren't the Penguins getting enough pucks on the net? Well, they're a difficult defensive team to play against. I mean, you know, you, you look at the job that Matthias Beckholm and T.K. Subban as a duo have done specifically against Evgeny Malkin uh, and also Phil Kessel, and, and you, you come up with uh, a situation in which they're in their faces, they're not giving them a lot of space to create, and, uh, and it just becomes really difficult to play against them. And, uh, you know, five on five, the Predators, have, they, control, they control the puck, they possess the puck, uh, they, uh, they're, they're clearly getting the better of that play in this series. And so it's on the Penguins to, to try to be creative, you know, dump the puck into places where maybe Rene can't play it, uh, do their best to, to try to get better zone exits from their own zone. Uh, it's a tough team to play against, and it's not, it's not too much of a surprise that they've been able to uh, win many of these possession battles because, frankly, the Penguins have been a team that's allowed their opponents to dictate play too often in these playoffs. Crosby, I think, has played very well in the playoffs. But what have you seen out of Malkin, and in particular, Phil Kessel? <laughs> That's actually the story that I'm doing for Puck Daddy today. Is uh, this, uh, you know, Phil and and, and uh, Malkin both talked today after practice, uh, and uh, you know, they're asking, we're asking Malkin, you know, what's go- what's the deal? What's the deal with Phil? You know, what do you expect out of him in Game Five? And Malkin simply said. It's time to score. <laughs> you know, it's, and he's right. I mean, it's it's time for Fest, for Kessel to be better than one assist in the series. It's time for for Gino to get back to uh, the dominant as we saw from him in the in the first two games. The series of times, um, it, it's it's time, and uh, and I think they both realize that in in Malkin's case. Uh, you know, again, the defensive assignment that he's dealing with with Subban and Ekholm is a really tough duo. They're getting the, uh, the better of the play in that matchup. But you have to remember that uh, he had six assists. I'm sorry, six goals and 11 assists on home ice this uh, playoff. He is a remarkably more effective offensive player on home ice. I think part of it is that Mike Sullivan gets the better matchups for him when the Penguins have the last line change. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him get back on track in, in Game 5 based on what he's already been able to do at home in these playoffs. Yeah, that's a really good point about last change because it does allow the home team to get the matchup they desire out there, especially when, you, when you're in the second period with the long change. Yeah, precisely. And, and you know, kudos to the, to the Predators. They were able to really get... Uh, the matchups that they wanted uh, in those home games, and, and it was extraordinarily effective. But uh, but now it's going to be interesting to see what happens when maybe they don't get him, and maybe Mike Sullivan can be a bit more advantageous about trying to get Malkin and Crosby, uh, or rather Malkin and Kessel, the matchups that they need. This is not meant to be a critical question. Just one, I want to know what your observation is. What have you thought about Matt Murray in this series? 
Uh, I don't think he had a strong game four, and I, I don't fault anybody for asking the question about what to expect from the goaltending in game five. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's obviously a very weird situation here when you have a veteran guy like Flurry who, you know, has been so beloved by this franchise. Uh, what he did in the first two rounds of these playoffs, arguably the reason that they're still playing in these playoffs, um, and, and have to be a really well-liked guy, and, and frankly losing his job after one bad game. So after Murray doesn't have a strong game, I think it's fine to ask the question about what they're going to do. But Mike Sullivan said the goaltending's not been the problem. I tend to agree with him. I think offense has been the problem. Uh, all that said, I mean, I, I think in, in talking to some of the other reporters that have been covering this series, none of us would be shocked if, if Murray has an average game in Game 5 on home ice, another game in which we expect him to bounce back, and he doesn't. None of us would be surprised if to give this team a jolt we see Marc-Andre Fleury play Game 6 in Nashville. I'm going to flip that on you. I'm not. Um, this is just a gut feeling, because obviously he replaced uh, Murray with Fleury in a game last year in the playoffs, but I've just got the feeling that Murray is his guy and the first chance he had to put him in uh, for Flurry, he took because I just think sometimes it's just your guy. No, I think that's a fa- I think that's a fair comment. Uh, and obviously, he was his guy last year. They won a cup with him, and obviously, the organization uh, is, is behind Murray in the sense that he's going to be their goaltender going forward because they can't keep both due to the expansion draft and due to the fact that you know Flurry makes a good amount of coin that they would probably rather invest in another defenseman. I completely understand that. Um, but that said, I mean, if your back is against the wall and, and the, and the right. kid goalie hasn't played well for three games and uh, you have a guy sitting on your bench that, uh, frankly, like I said earlier in these playoffs, was the, the second-best goalie in the entire you know, postseason next to Pekka, uh, you have to, I think you have to consider it. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with the goalie change when it happened. Murray was healthy. He was a starter. Uh, mm-hmm. Flurry was on borrowed time, but it wouldn't shock me to see them do something dramatic if that's what was necessary to win a game six. What have you thought about the Preds' play up the middle at the center position? Thought to be a liability against the Penguins heading in. In reality, how has that played out? Oh, it, they've, been, they've been good. I mean, they've been getting performances, like you said, from from very random people that have been sort of thrust into more ice time. Guys like uh, Colton Sissons, guys like uh, Johnny Goudreau, I'm Johnny Goudreau, <laughs> Freddie Goudreau, I flip, flip my Goudreaus, uh, who, who uh, has sort of been a, a revelation offensively in this series. Um, you know, they've, they, they've gotten everything that they've needed, but honestly, like the story for this team, it's less about, about what the centers have done and, and more about what a, a couple of individuals have done. The, the top four defensemen have been as good as anything we've seen in these playoffs. Uh, I think Victor Arvidsson, uh, who used to be a top liner on that Ryan Johansson line before Johansson was hurt, really had a strong game four. Um, you're, you're seeing a lot of different heroes for this Nashville team, and it's one of the big surprises about this team, to be honest with you. I think a lot of us coming into these playoffs like the Predators, like what they had, like what they had to offer, but didn't necessarily think they had oodles of championship caliber depth. Uh, and yet you go back to all the way to the first round of these playoffs where a guy who's no longer even playing in them, Kevin Fiala, scores a, an overtime goal for him. They, they seem to have a lot of uh, heroes that step up in ways that are that's kind of honestly reminiscent of what the Penguins were able to do last season where you know it could be a guy in the first line or a guy in the fourth line that scores the big goal. Right, which which happened repeatedly for them last year. Now we've seen, obviously, Gensel and what he's been able to do. Uh, we know what Gensel's done. Uh, 
Craig Smith getting the speed into the lineup for Nashville. What has he meant? Because it looks like he's he's made some plays for Nashville. Yeah, he's been good, and and, and I think the overall speed in the series is has certainly uh, gone Nashville's way uh, in most of these games, which to me is is a product uh, less of personnel and, and more of fatigue. I mean, that's been another sort of undercurrent in the series is the fact that the Nashville Predators got through their first round in four games. Uh, they've not had to play a game seven. Uh, and meanwhile, the Penguins have been in a bit of a grind and then also obviously played a ton of hockey last postseason. So to a man, they all say fatigue's not an issue when you're this close to finishing out a series, but you could see it. You could see in those games in Nashville the Predators having a bit more of a jump, a bit more of a speed advantage, and uh, the Penguins sometimes having to play catch-up. Yeah, it's interesting because the Penguins are in that spot where they played deep into June last year, and the World Cup of Hockey came around right away in September. Yeah. So they've, they've had some players play a lot of games to this point. But a hockey player would never admit there's any fatigue. No, of course not. I mean, it's 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 sort of the uh, uh, they, they might they might a couple have admitted it off the record <laughs> during the series, especially <laughs> the, the, the defense the defensemen on the Penguins who have been playing obviously not only a lot of hockey in the last two years, but um, are also playing more minutes because of the absence of Chris Letang. Uh, but you're right; they're not going to admit it. It's it's after the season at the uh, the uh, the final uh, press conferences where you get to hear all about all the horrific injuries that these guys have been suffering uh, throughout the playoffs that they seem to compartmentalize and keep out of the uh, out of their front of the front of their minds in these uh, playoff games. Obviously, the TV ratings for an NBA Finals should not be compared to the ratings for a Stanley Cup Final. But if you compare a Stanley Cup Final to other Stanley Cup Finals, it turns out the ratings for this have been really, really good. Are you surprised by that based on the markets involved? Not at all. I mean, Pittsburgh has uh, traditionally been one of the strongest television markets they have. It's why they were so petty about the Penguins having those viewing parties back in the day. They know that it's a city that can carry a national rating on its own if necessary. In Nashville's case, there's just been so much enthusiasm, not only in the city, but in the state, in the region. I mean, they're pulling in viewers from Alabama and places like that. Uh, and, and there's a novelty to it. I think in the case of, of the Predators, especially these home games, uh, people were, were, were curious to see what the atmosphere was. They heard about the chanting and the and the volume and everything else, and I think they were interested in, in, in dipping in and checking it out. And uh, it's been a huge success from a from an NHL standpoint. I mean, the second I think it's the second highest rated uh, game four they've ever had uh, on NBC behind a Chicago Boston game, which is yep. again two original six series compared to a, a team from Nashville. So it's been really impressive. Yeah, that that's hockey royalty. The Blackhawks and the Bruins playing there in terms of the tradition of it, without question. Uh, when you when you're in Nashville's building. <laughs> It seems so loud on TV. It comes through the set, which is what TV wants. It's why TV wants sellouts. They want you to feel the excitement. When you're there, to, what, is, what is it like? It's, it's a lot of fun, and it's a great atmosphere, and, uh, and there is, without question, an energy uh, that fuels these guys on Nashville from their home crowd. I mean, there's, there was a moment in Game 3 I wrote about where the Penguins get the first goal in the game. Pekka Rene is sort of on shaky ground at that point in the series and, and these fans in Nashville they stand up and give these standing ovations during TV timeouts no, no jumbotron no nothing tell them, to, tell them to do so they just do it and you can just feel the team get lifted up in that moment where there's not any despair in the crowd it's just perfectly 
you know, enthusiastic. From a volume perspective, and I, and I said this on a couple of Nashville stations who didn't necessarily like, like the answer, from a volume perspective, I still think that as far as American arenas, I think that the Shark Tank in San Jose was louder. Like, pure volume, I think that was louder. But the atmosphere at these games, the, the sustained cheering, the chants, yeah. you know, the 22nd-long goalie chant they do when the guy gives up a goal, like all that stuff is, is something that we, I've never experienced as a, as a guy covering the, uh, the NHL playoffs. It's really remarkable. Greg, uh, finally this one, uh, Game 5, pivotal fifth game coming up. Uh, in your mind, uh, what do you think about it? You know, what is a couple of things that you'll be interested to see as to how they play out? Well, I'd be interested to see, you know, a couple of the Predators players have been talking about trying to bottle up the, the enthusiasm and the way they played in those two home games and trying to import it to Pittsburgh. And, you know, I don't know if that's going to necessarily be something they can do. Um, it, it, the Penguins are obviously a very, a very, very good team on home ice. We talked about how much better Malkin's on, uh, is on home ice. Uh, I think you're going to see a much better effort there from the Penguins. And the other thing, but the, the real pivot for this series, I think, is you know the Penguins' ability to do what they did in the first two games of the series, which is to find that mistake, find that opening, and just rip open a wound on the Predators and pour in a few goals, uh, really kind of knock them on their heels. They were able to do it in game one within three minutes. They were able to do it within five minutes in game two. Uh, and they've got to find a way to do it again because otherwise if you let this team – Defensively and Pekka Rene get into a rhythm. I don't think that you're. I don't think the Penguins can necessarily win a 60-minute game against this team. I think they really have to get in there and and make hay within a, a five or six-minute span, and then try, hope that's that's enough goals to to carry them through. Greg, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Great conversation. Oh, awesome! Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Greg Wyshynski, Puck Daddy, Yahoo Sports. Great to have him on the show. Next half hour, we're going to talk with the author of the book of the group that brought down the Olympic bid for Boston. It's just, uh, Sean, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough twenty minutes for the suit. I, I just I'm telling you. I'll run over to the other end of the building and check up on him, make sure he's okay. Oh no need. No need at all. No. It's okay. That's why we have Drew. Maybe Sammy can go over and check. Uh, she took today off. Can you blame her? (laughs) (laughs) And Drew's already gone for the day. Can you blame him? (laughs) That's why I offered I'd go over and check. (laughs) After a while, between the two of them, they're sick of babysitting him. (laughs) It's okay. It's just a show. It's all right. It's just a radio show. On News Radio 1070 WKOK. I appreciate all the uh, local oxygen companies for bidding to sit in the office with the suit while we did the Boston Olympics story next half hour. In the end, we just settled for a brown paper bag for him to breathe into. What? Bob Stoops, by the way, retiring in Oklahoma. Stunning? Yeah, that's stunning, all right. I was completely taken aback by that one today. 
But I was taken aback by the firing of Thad Mata early, uh, as well. Again, this is June. June is not the month when you change basketball coaches. June is not the month that football coaches retire. I realize there'll be some continuity at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley taking over as the head coach at the age of 33. He's already been on the staff. He knows the people and so forth. But it does bring up some interesting questions as to why. I I think you asked a legitimate one. Do you just wake up one day and go, nah, I've had enough? Or is there something deeper here to look into? So we, you know, there's been no press conference yet about that, so I can't, I can't answer it. Don't know. I mean, sometimes people do wake up. I mean, and say, you know what? Not right now. I think uh, it's time to time to move on. I mean, that happens sometimes, but. Uh, and, you know, a primary has always been uh, Dick Vermeil, for example. And then Dick Vermeil came back and coached the Rams, coached the Kansas City Chiefs, and it was great. One of the great guys I've ever been around. Played around to golf with Dick Vermeil once. Just, just genuinely like him as a person. Just a good guy to be around. So. So what his reasons are, don't know. Do not know his reasons. And until he says something, anything you say is just guesswork. Complete guesswork. But it is a surprise. And sometimes we don't get a lot of surprises. We've had a couple surprises this week. We're going to have Marty Brenneman's call of uh, Scooter Gannett with his uh, fourth home run last night. That'll be our play-by-play call of the day. We're going to talk about the Boston Olympic bid. Now, we assured our guest that for his own personal safety, we would not give his address out to the suit or his phone number. It was the only way we could get him on the show. Sign my waiver. No problems here. Oh, you're not the issue. Oh, I know. I'm just <laughs> if he were to get it, <laughs> it would yeah. be for me. Uh, no, I, it's just, <laughs> I, I mean, look, the suit has several restraining orders. Right. I in fact, the, the attorney he has on retainer earns every dime. Your home for the Phillies. News Radio 1070 WKOK and WKOK.com. This is WKOK Sunbury.